Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So, I have been married for 21 years. That's right. So, and on our wedding day, my identity changed. Did I became a husband? So, Vicky could say to me with full authority, Tim, you are my husband. And I could say, I am your husband. Uh, now, being a husband includes all sorts of responsibilities, tasks, and ways of behaving. And I can safely say that perhaps in those first few weeks, by weeks I mean years, I would have been rubbish at almost all of those things. Almost all of them. Now hopefully I got better over the years, and you can ask me about that, not Vicky, at the end. Um, But regardless of my ability to be a good husband, I was still a husband. Okay, My identity didn't kind of waver and change. I remained a husband all the way through. And understanding our identity actually is very, very important. And Jesus had a lot to say about who we are. He had a lot to say about who you are. And what he says is very important for us to understand. He had a clear idea who we are meant to be. He had a clear idea of who he wanted you to be and how he wanted you to understand yourself. A way of understanding your identity. Now sometimes as Christians we get very caught up in our behaviour. The things that we are meant to do. The meetings that we should attend. The things we should do. The things we shouldn't do. Whatever it might be. But actually for Jesus, identity was the important thing. So for Jesus, in our identity, actually that's one of the ways he begins to renew and restore all of creation. When Jesus says, on earth like it is in heaven, he kind of had you in mind as part of that process. He thought that we could bring dramatic change to the world around us just by knowing who we are. Now, sometimes we think, oh, us Christians can bring change because there's all these things that we can do. And we're going to talk about one or two of those things, give big, for example, or uh, serving and loving the poor. But ultimately, it begins in knowing who you are, what your identity is. He doesn't set us tasks, he gives us purpose, and he tells us who we are. Knowing who you are is more important than what you do. And that is what we're going to think about today. So we're going to read from Matthew 5. And we're going to read a little chunk, actually a reasonable chunk of Matthew 5. It will be up on the screen there as well. Um, Thank you, Michael. And I will read it for you. From verse 1. Seeing the crowds, this is Jesus, he went up the mountain. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mounts. And he sat down and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and give light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." In this passage, there is some clear ideas about behaviour, okay? about things that we should do, ways of uh, behaving and acting, uh, and things that Jesus is looking for from us. That's why it's called the Beatitudes. Okay? There's a, a bunch of stuff we are meant to be do, do there, and even those behaviours are blessed. He says, look, if you behave in this way, it is a blessing to you and to those around you. But he sets it in the context of who you are of your identity. And I think in these, in these kind of statements about this is a way to behave, this is a way to think, this is a way to live, I think he's almost asking a question of you, saying, okay, these are the ways to think and uh, behave and live, so who are you? Who do you think you are? What have you been made for? What is your role and purpose in the world? What is your identity? He then gives us a vision for our identity and our present and future. So when he says, you are, in verses 13 and 14, says, you are salt, you are light. He's making two big kingdom statements. And at, at this moment, as he sat on the side of the mountain, as he's teaching his disciples, as others are beginning to gather around and listen to him, he is beginning his new kingdom. In this moment, we think, oh, it's just a sermon. Well, actually, Jesus is beginning his new kingdom. In this moment, he is teaching them how the relationship between them and God, between us and God, will be restored. He was teaching them, actually, you as the people of God have a place in all of this creation as well. And he's teaching them about that. He's restoring creation. Uh, This is how it all begins, and it begins with two you are statements. This is how it begins with a you are. And we're going to dig into those today. And the first one really is this, that you are the salt of the earth. And uh, Jesus is putting us right into the centre of his plans. So sometimes we read the Gospels and it is all about Jesus, very obviously about Jesus and about all that he achieves. Uh, And if we were to read all the way through Matthew, he would work his way uh, through Israel, teaching and preaching, healing, doing miracles, and he would get to Jerusalem, he would be crucified, then he would be resurrected. Uh, And all of that is to bring us into his plan. We are not audience members at a play. We are not spectators at a football match. We have not turned up at a gig to watch amazing musicians. Actually, we are brought on to the stage. We are brought on to the fields. He says, you are the salt, you are the light. It is urgent and present. So Christchurch Manchester, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It is not flattery either. He's not trying to butter them up and just to try and make them feel good. So for the rest of the day, they're kind of walking on air. Because if we kept reading, actually, he tells us some pretty intense things we need to think about. He's not trying to butter them up at all. But he is trying to get across urgent purpose. 
And it requires commitment as well. So he's saying, you are salt, but you must retain your saltiness. You are light, but you don't hide the lights. And it's very future focused as well, saying, look, if you live like this, if you have and understand this identity, the world around you begins to change. So let's think about salt for a moment. Uh, Salt has been used for thousands of years, hasn't it? We use salt, probably use it every day, to flavour foods, uh, to, in the winter, chuck it on the roads to melt the ice, whatever it might be. But in Jesus' time, they used salt to preserve food. So obviously, didn't have fridges or freezers, so they would get salt and rub it into meat particularly. And that would preserve it, that would stop the meat from going bad. It meant the meat stayed good for actually for a very long time. And in this, Jesus is reminding those who are listening to him at that moment, and they were in Israel, it was uh, Jewish people that were with him, and he was reminding them, look, you are the people of God, this is important for you to remember your purpose. He was reminding them, saying, actually, you are meant to kind of mediate between God's and the rest of humanity back and forth. That was, you were like priests. In Leviticus, it says, you shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. And all your offerings you shall offer salt. You might think, well, that's a bit obscure. Why would you Why would you say that? But actually, and we talked about sacrifice here a few weeks ago, didn't we? And they're saying, actually, you put salt on these sacrifices. It's part of uh, how you worship God. It's part of how uh, you put yourself before God's. And when we, they think about those old sacrifices, they are pointing forward to something, aren't they? They're pointing forward to Jesus. And he's reminding them, look, actually, in sacrifice you are preserving the world. And Jesus is the ultimate example of that, but uh, you are, as salt, part of that process. And then he expands that image out because he didn't, he didn't want all new Christians to walk around with a bag of salt and just kind of chuck salt on the stuff they were doing. I need to have a good day at work if I'm a teacher teaching the kids, so liberally throw salts all over them or whatever it is you might do. It's not what I had in mind. But he wants them to understand, actually, you are the salt in this picture. You, yourself, are the salt that changes and preserves, that makes things good, that keeps things good. So as you live your life, as you go to work, as you have your family life, as you are in friendship with people, whatever it is that you might do, as you think about uh, your finances, how you spend your evenings, everything is an opportunity to be something. It's to be salt. The church's job, your job, Christchurch Manchester, the people of the church, our purpose is to preserve and bring change in the world, to be salt. Actually, we can stop decline and decay in society by understanding who we are and what Jesus says about us, by understanding our identity, by thinking, actually, I am salt. So how do we do that? Well, Jesus, he he talks about all of the Beatitudes and those heart attitudes he was talking about. Uh, And he says, look, if you are meek, so to have a heart attitude that trusts God, that's what it means to be meek, not pushing your own agenda, but pushing God's agenda. To hunger after righteousness and justice, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers. These are all ways of being salt. That's how we get to be salt. It's how we get to preserve the earth. How do we stop the spread of decay? 
And Jesus wants them to be in and part of the world. He's not wanting to call them out into isolation. That is not our call to separate ourselves from the world. Actually, it's to be part of the world and to bring saltiness, to preserve it. So you can choose mercy when somebody upsets you, when somebody is mean to you in some way and horrible to you. You can choose mercy in that moment instead of retaliation or sulking. Actually, you bring change in that moment. When you decide to make peace with someone you know is gossiping about you behind your back, instead of kind of retaliating with your own gossip bombs, you can be salty. When we choose purity over short-term pleasure, actually that's a, a moment of saltiness as well. When we seek justice for someone who can't defend themselves, in those moments we can be salt. Now I think for a whole city, for your workplace, maybe for your friendship group, for your family, where there are Christians, believers in Jesus, who know who they are, who Jesus says they are, and try to live that out, that place will be preserved. It will be made better. It will be prevented from going off. So we are talking about Give Big this week, and Give Big is a good way to think about this, a helpful example. Uh, And our money, how we spend our money, is a good opportunity to be salt. How we view our income, how we view our spending. Actually, in those moments, we have a chance to preserve, don't we? We have an opportunity to make the world better by giving and giving generously. Finance finance isn't the only way, but it is an opportunity. So for this Give Big, we are giving to Oasis, and as they do all that they do in this new centre, actually, we can be a bit salt to them by helping them. We're also looking to give uh, to an organisation in Uganda, run by a guy called Emmanuel, who oversees hundreds of churches in Uganda and some of the surrounding nations. He's a great church planter, but in the capital of Uganda, they have built a hospital and a school. And they found the lands, they uh, sourced the builders, all of the materials, slowly but surely. And they built the hospital in such a way that they can build it a floor at a time. So when they get more money, they spend it on a floor of a hospital. You think, okay, well we can help them be salt in that place uh, by sending them money. And the same, actually, for the guys in the east of Ukraine. So the pastors that are out there are a great example of being salt in a place that is war-torn, which was invaded by the Russians, even though the Russians denied that they were even there. Putin was like, oh, it's nothing to do with us. And uh, a friend of mine who was in the towns at the time said, well, I can see Russian tanks, so I beg to differ. Um, But we can actually help them to be salt, to be peacemakers in a conflict zone, to help those pastors stay and serve the poor. And it's important for us to remember this, to remember who we are, to remember our identity as salt. Now, I don't know if you ever do this, but I, I enjoy watching the news. So usually six or seven o'clock in the evening, I'll, I'll put on the news. And they never start by going, today has been a good day, hasn't it? Wow, all of these good things. And then just listing success stories. That doesn't ever happen, does it? Uh, and you can see carnage. And sometimes you just think, oh, what? What can I do? So I'll go through a phase of a few weeks where I'm like, not watching the news, too depressing, is absolutely nothing. It becomes quite disengaging, doesn't it? Or perhaps just the sheer busyness of your own life. Perhaps you finish work or finish your day and you just think, actually, I don't want anything else in my life. How do I fit more in? I can't do any more. 
Now, actually, Jesus is saying, you are salt, not you do salty, you are salt. So who you are, how you behave, your identity is what brings the difference. And he uses this as an encouragement to us and as a warning. So he says that if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's kind of a rhetorical question. You can't make salt that's not salty, you can't turn it into salt. He says it's no longer good for anything except to throw it out and people to walk on it, trampled under their feet. And he's warning against forgetting who you are, forgetting your identity and compromising. So in those days, they would in fact contaminate their salt. So if a bloke is selling bags of salt, you think, that one bag I can turn into two bags by putting some dirt in and mixing it up, and I can make more money. Um, But that salt is no use for anything. If you rub dirt into meat, all you do is make it dirty. You don't preserve it. It only makes it worse. And Jesus is saying, well, you might as well throw that away. And actually, Jesus is making a very high call for us to retain our saltiness, to remember who we are, to know our identity, and to know that he is calling us to be someone in a place, not to do things. It matters that we know who we are and we take our place in the world. It does matter to know who we are. I've been reading uh, uh, books by a guy called Edwin Friedman, okay? And he is a family therapist, and he's fascinating. I love reading his stuff. Uh, And he he talks about uh, family units, and he he, uh, provides therapy to whole families. He won't just take one person, he'll take the whole family. And then he applies what he's learnt from dealing with a family unit to uh, churches and to organisations, and sometimes even to whole nations as well. He was uh, consulted by presidents in America uh, because of his ideas. Uh, And he would effectively say that there is a person usually in a family unit who makes the difference to the whole family. So he would say, so uh, we all know the situation, don't we? When, uh, when somebody shows up into a room, maybe there's a group of you, person shows up and that person is always anxious and tense uh, and just brings anxiety. And you know that when that person turns up, the whole atmosphere of the room changes, the whole group begins to react and talk differently. They bring anxiety into the mix. Now, we also know the opposite is true, don't we? We also know that if there is someone there who knows who they are, knows their identity, knows, actually, I don't need to react to that person, knows, actually, I can react with calmness and clear thinking, as well as good humour and warmth, actually, that has the opposite effect, removes the anxiety from the room. It kind of filters it away. And he is saying, look, he calls this being the non-anxious presence. Effectively, know who you are. Know your identity. Know that you are salt and you bring goodness. You preserve good things. You're not here to bring anxiety, to bring tension, to bring difficulty. Actually, you're the opposite. If you know who you are, you can remove that from the situation. I'm sure... Anyone here who's a parent knows that there are times where the household can be fraught with anxiety because maybe something that has happened at school. Uh, And you know that if you go in, both kind of barrels blazing, imposing your will on the situation, getting a bit shouty, you know that the opposite of what you want is what will happen. 
don't you? We know that as parents. Now, actually, if you go with calmness, clear thinking, you try to remove the anxiety from the situation, you go to restore relationships, sometimes not even solve the problem, actually, things can change very rapidly. This is a high call from Jesus, actually, to us, to preserve the world. I wonder if we think about that when we think about our, our jobs. Maybe we think about our families or whatever. To think, actually, in that situation, I'm a preservative. I'm something that keeps it good, maybe even makes it better, just by knowing who you are. We are the means that God wants to use. And Jesus states it clearly. This is a role for you. This is your identity. But there is warning there against losing your saltiness, becoming uh, contaminated, compromising on justice, on righteousness, on purity, on those things, on losing your saltiness. And then he goes on to another you are, and we'll finish with this. He says, you are the light of the world, a city that cannot be hidden. So a number of years ago, uh, Vicky and I visited some friends in Italy. I think they lived in Perugia, um, which is a, a town in Italy. Uh, and uh, it's in a really nice part of Italy that I can't remember the name of, but let's just assume it's a nice place. And uh, they said, we're going to go and visit Assisi today. And Assisi is famous for St. Francis of Assisi. You heard of him? Just say yes, he's an interesting guy. And he, well, he's very dead now, so I assume he was interesting. Um, and from about five or six hundred years ago. And uh, there is... Uh, He's had a town built, and it was built on a hill. Uh, and we drove from Perugia, which is also another hill, onto a big plain. You drive into this plain, and you could see Assisi from miles away, just because it was on a hill, the one hill in that whole plain. Really obvious, you could see it for miles. When it was night time, you could see the lights on the hill as well, from a long way. And Jesus is calling us to that, to visibility. See, there are two images that Jesus said. There is light and city here. Both are about being seen and visible. Interestingly, neither of them are being, about being heard. Who knows that? They're about being seen. You're aware of their presence, but they're not shouty. So light doesn't shout at you when you turn it on. It's not about being heard. It's about being seen. And light drives out darkness, doesn't it? So we know that if you're in a dark room, you turn on the light darkness disappears. And a city on a hill is a visible way of life to see as well. You know that people live in the city. You know that a city has a reputation. You go towards it, you might think there is art and culture in that city, or there are job opportunities in that city. The city is visible and obvious. And Jesus wants us to understand this. He said, you need to know your identity. You need to know who you are. You are salt that preserves, but you are light and a city. That means you are seen, you are not hidden, you are visible. And he says, do you light a lamp and put it under a basket? You don't do that. You put it on a stand, other people can see it. We are to be visible, we are to be known. People should have heard of us. You, Christchurch Manchester, are salt and you are light. We are to be light on a stand that brings light to a whole house. I think it's interesting, sometimes when we think about these things, we think about how we have a place in society, how we are meant to bring change, and that can feel a bit daunting sometimes. But the picture here is very simple, it's a light on a stand in a house. That's all it is. You think about your house, think about your physical house where you live, and think, in that house, 
Am I a light to the other people that I live with or the people that come round to my house and spend time with me? Am I light to them? What do they come into? And it's a very simple picture, isn't it? That actually you can be, bring light to a whole house that people can come and be in and can be in that light. It's a very positive image. And it's a call to identity. It is not the words that we use that will let people know that you believe in Jesus. It's not the things that you refuse to do that will let people know. It's who God has made you to be. And we're talking about this forgive big because when we think about our money and giving, sometimes we can think, I haven't got much to give. Like, it's small amounts. Uh, But actually, it's a sense of knowing, okay, this is who I am. And so uh, what I give comes out of who I am. So if I see myself as salt and as light, it doesn't matter then how much you give because you give out of generosity and sacrifice. Now if you think you give out of obligation, think I am a Christian, this is something I must do, uh, then there's anxiety and panic in it and we don't want that for you at all. Uh, When I think about you guys, I think about your money, I, I, I want it to be something that brings you joy and is an opportunity for you to worship however you choose to spend your money is worshipful. So when we give to Oasis, when we give to this place here, it's good talking about giving to this place and actually being in the building. But actually, this is light in darkness. This is salt for Gorton. When we think about Uganda, their hospital and their schools, I think with our money it will go to building uh, a facility for nurses to stay in at the hospital, which is fantastic. Uh, And actually, we already sent them a little bit of money this year to help them buy a ventilation unit to help COVID patients. And we were able to do that. Um, And as we give to the churches in the Ukraine, we are helping them to be cities on hills. We're helping them to be salt and light. So I would like to pray for you. If you could stand, that would be excellent.